So it's not going to shock anyone uh, if I say, if I point out the fact that we live in a really divided time, culturally, especially culturally. Um, this is, I'm really glad Ken ended on that song with that psalm. Um, but uh, opinions in our time, opinions, convictions, whatever word you want to use, opinions on everything from economic issues and policies to how healthcare should work to race and racism in American history, to what justice means and what justice should look like. All of those topics are supercharged, highly charged right now. Um, And in some cases, at least for me, I don't think I'm alone in this. In some cases, it feels like whatever your opinion is on one of those topics I just listed, whatever that is, it serves as a litmus test for who you can and cannot talk to or what you should or shouldn't even say in certain company. Um, And note... I did not even mention COVID or the pandemic in that list, (laughs) right? (laughs) So enter into that situation, add a pandemic on top of that. So it also probably won't surprise me to point out that COVID uh, has amplified, it's both amplified divisions that already existed in our country, in our culture, and it's added more topics to divide people. Things like masks, vaccines, gathering policies, whether or not the government should or shouldn't do things to, you know, or what, at what level of the government should be acting, all of that stuff. People hold very various opinions about everything I just mentioned. And I feel, at least for me, I felt like the stakes are just super high on all of these topics. Is anyone resonating with this? This is, this is not just me, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm sure I'm not the only one. Like, I feel nervous when these topics come up. <laughs> frankly. I feel nervous when I'm hanging out with my neighbors and they come up. I feel nervous when I'm hanging out with fellow church people and they come up. Um, and while it saddens me, I think it should sadden all of us to see our culture so divided up and plagued by these divisions. That makes me very sad. Um, but it especially, especially grieves me when I see the potential for the church to be divided along the same lines. So it's one thing when the culture is divided, and that's sad. And in some ways, we almost should not be surprised uh, that the broader culture gets divided this way. But man, when the church does too, when the church follows suit, that is especially grievous. Um, and that's part of what I, that's, well, that is what I want to talk about this morning. That's what we're going to discuss. And I want to say too, I want to be pretty transparent. I've actually been, re- and I've literally talked to family and neighbors about this. I've actually been really proud of us, us meeting Missio Day. Um, I've been really proud of how we have weathered this, particularly over the past 18 months or so. I mean, when you just think about the things that have been layered on top of a uh, really divisive election season and uh, the protests around racial um, issues in our history, when you think about all that stuff, I mean, it's just, we have weathered a lot as a community through the pandemic. And I really believe that we've held together remarkably well. Yes, people have left, that is true. Um, but overall, I think we've held together. And I know enough of you, <laughs> I know enough people in this room and the people who aren't here this morning, I know enough of you to know that there are very different opinions in this room and in this community about lots of things. That's just true. Um, and so that speaks to our ability to hold together, I think, people who, are, who have committed. That all being said, I am very proud of us. I'm very, very encouraged. I'm very grateful. And I have told people this many times. Um, I also think, that being said, it would be immune to think that we are, or it would be naive to think that we are immune as a community to the possibility of divisions as well. Um, And so um, I felt, uh, and I don't think it's just me, but I felt just a burden over time 
to talk about this and to really speak to a spirit of grace, patience, and unity um, that I believe the church should be marked by. So what we're going to do this morning is take a detour from Acts, a short detour, although it's, I don't think it's actually really that much of a detour, to be honest. I'll explain in a minute. Um, uh, I want to reflect on something that I think is an extremely, extremely important calling of the body of Christ, which is, which is this. This is kind of my big idea here. To be a community of peace and unity in the midst of a culture of division and hostility. To be a community of peace and unity in the midst of a culture of division and hostility. And I really do believe that this type of unity, it requires loving sacrifice that can only be modeled by following Jesus and by having faith in him and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the type of unity we are called to as a church is not something that we can just drum up on our own. Um, That's really important. And like I said, this actually isn't that much of a detour from Acts in a sense because it's a big part of what Paul was calling the earliest church communities to. It's a huge part of it, and we're going to look at that, what that looked like in a minute. Um, Paul was calling the earliest church communities around the Mediterranean area, Greco-Roman area, he was calling them to embody this type of unity as they also sought to follow Jesus together across their own very divisive cultural issues and boundaries and practices. They had their own. Um, So as we will see today, one of Paul's concerns was whether or not the gospel of Jesus Christ would produce a peace and unity in the church that would, listen to this, that would show the name of Jesus and the gospel to be stronger than the divisive issues of their time. That was a big concern of Paul. Will the gospel produce a peace and a unity that points to something that's stronger than what's the strongest divisions of your time? Will that happen? And the church is the place where that should be happening. So let me pray for us as we get into this topic. Lord, um, I believe that you desire to see peace in your people and ultimately peace in the world. So I pray that we would be a people of peace, that we'd be so captivated by the gospel, by the enormity of your grace for us, what you've done for us, and the reality of your Holy Spirit amongst us. We'd be so captivated by that again this morning. Use this next time, please, to, uh, to bring honor to your name and to your gospel and just make it alive in us as a community. In your holy name we pray, amen. Um, so we're going to look at, as you can see on the screen, uh, part, we're not going to necessarily look at the whole chapter, but Romans chapter 14 is a chapter I want to uh, spend some time in this morning. Um, and I want to say, as we set this up, that um, it's clear if you study the New Testament at all, if you study just the, the time period of the early church, Cultural issues, divisive issues, have threatened to divide the church right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. Um, literally, these are the oldest writings. Paul, some of Paul's letters are the old. They, they were written before the Gospels, many of them. And uh, from the earliest writings of the church, we see the, uh, the threat of division. Um, and it's all over the New Testament. But what I want to focus on this morning is, as you can see, Paul, a part of Paul's letter to the church that met in Rome. Um, it's possible it was a scattered... Uh, network of small house churches, or maybe one. It's, it's, there's different, scholars have different ideas about that. But regardless, he wrote a le- what, probably one of his most well-known letters to the church in Rome, which we know as Romans today. And uh, a, an important part of it was how he handled the potential for division in that community. So that's what I want to look at. Um, so go ahead and go to the next slide, Lester. I put um, mo- the most kind of pressing verses on the, on the slides, but you can follow along if you want. But let me read these. In Romans 14, I'm going to unpack this um, in a bit. But Paul says, to the, picture, if you can, picture being in a house, maybe a large Roman villa, 
maybe there'd be like 20, 25 people in that room. I used to go uh, really regularly to the Monday night group at, at the Jones, when it was at the Jones's house years ago. And I think about that setting a lot because that was probably about the closest to what the early church looked like. It's so like 25 people in a room. Um, you know each other. You're sitting really close to each other. Picture someone reading this to a room like that. Picture yourself there. Paul says, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Um, go ahead and go to the next slide, Lester. What we have here are Paul, I'm going to just give a little background on this. Paul uses these terms for the strong and the weak. He's essentially outlining two kind of factions that existed in the Roman church, that developed in the Roman church. He labels them strong and weak. Um, Weak, I, I'm not sure how I would have felt if he, you know, was calling me part of the weak faction, but <laughs> set that aside. feels a little denigrating, but regardless, this is the terms he used. Um, but here's what's going on. Here's what's going on with these two groups. One group believed it was very crucial to avoid anything associated with the pagan Roman worship. In, in, remember, they're in Rome. They're in the capital of the pagan Roman oppressive empire, right? And one group believed while living in that city, it was crucial to avoid anything associated with the Roman pantheon of gods. Things like worship, uh, things like certain areas of the marketplace, certainly things like the temples and the festivals around. Part of what would happen is that in these Roman temples, uh, think of, you know, think of gods like Artemis and Zeus and those, those kinds of, that pantheon. Um, part of what would happen is that people would offer sacrifices to those Roman gods, and a lot of times the meat from the animals that were killed and sacrificed in those temples, that meat would end up in the marketplace next to the temple and just get sold. Um, that was common. And so people, particularly people of Jewish background, would studiously avoid any of that area because they don't want to be eating meat that had been sacrificed to Hermes, right? Think about that. Um, super, super um, offensive to the kind of the Jewish spirit, the Jewish law. And so that's part of the background. Similarly about pagan, pagan holidays, right? Like p- they would avoid certain areas of the city on certain noted holidays that celebrated certain gods. Okay, this is all cultural background. Um, so one group, probably mostly of Jewish background who are now trying to follow Jesus in Rome, uh, avoided all these things very, very, very studiously. It was, they were very offended by this, um, by even being potentially associated or seen in these areas, or certainly potentially eating meat that had been sacrificed to a pagan god. That was one group, and that's what Paul is labeling, quote, the weak or the weak in faith, are these people who are just avoiding all this stuff as much as possible. Another group is the strong probably mostly people of Gentile background who have been converted to following Jesus and aren't as worried about this stuff. These people probably, they probably had friends who sold things in the marketplace. They might have been people who formerly sold, maybe people had formerly sold meat themselves in the market. Um, These are people who are not as worried about being seen around these things. These are people who have been convinced that there's no gods behind all these rituals anyways, so it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if I eat the meat. It's just meat. Um, So their conscience is not easily offended by these things, right? I'm, I'm simplifying pretty broadly here, but hopefully you get, the, you get the idea. You get the cultural background. Now, these people are worshiping Jesus in these homes together, right? One group who uh, is very easily offended by being around these markets and these festivals, and another group who doesn't think it's a big deal. These are the strong, the quote, strong and weak that Paul is addressing. Now, all of this might seem like primitive and backwards and like, who cares about meat sacrifice to gods. This might seem super disconnected to our context today, but let me say, I'm going to try to connect it to our context in a minute, but I want to say that this was very, this had strong potential to divide the church. Very, very strong. Paul was super concerned about this. Um, They could have easily, I mean, picture this, you could easily see 
today, maybe, the strong and the weak groups starting their own denominations, <laughs> right? We're the strong in Christ, and we're the weak in Christ. I don't know. They probably wouldn't call themselves that, but you can see that, right? Like, you can, I, I picture this happening today. They just kind of form up in their own little groups and just do their things that make them comfortable and avoid the people who are offending them on both sides. Paul was very, very dead set against that happening. Um, now, to draw a parallel to today, I think, go ahead and go to the next slide, Lester. Um, I have known, and I still know, people of faith Christians in my life who find it extremely disrespectful and offends their conscience to say the Pledge of Allegiance, right, at events or at games. They, they, won't, they won't do it. And I know other Christians, you can see where I'm going with this, I know other Christians who find it extremely disrespectful and offensive to not say the Pledge of Allegiance and to not recognize um, what, you know, the, the, the heritage and the legacy of America and the, the rights that Americans have. Um, those two people, I've known... I'm not thinking of specific people, I'm just thinking generally. Uh, those two kind of factions, so to speak, uh, I've seen people and known people who have an extremely hard time respecting the people who think the other way <laughs> about this issue, right? I'm trying to use a slightly less charged issue. I don't know, maybe, maybe, that's, uh, maybe that's not the case. But regardless, yeah, Pledge of Allegiance, not charged, right? Uh, so regardless, I think this is the spirit, the same spirit that Paul is getting at, the strong and the weak. One person whose conscience is easily offended by something, one who isn't. And then, and crucially, them being very, very uh, denigrating, disrespectful of the other when they're supposed to be worshiping Jesus in the same place. Does this make sense? Um, we're going to probably get to some other examples as well. Well, what I think is fascinating to notice here, and we'll, I'll bring up another verse in a second. If you read Romans and unpack it and study it, Paul is less worried about wading into the dispute in terms of giving a judgment on what you should or shouldn't do. It seems he, he, does, uh, he does indicate in the letter that he actually probably aligns more with the, quote, strong group that he doesn't see any. It doesn't offend his own conscience to eat meat that was in markets. But regardless, he doesn't just offer a judgment and say one faction is right and one faction is wrong. Get in line with this faction. He does not do that. He's more concerned about the attitudes the Roman Christians hold towards each other as a result of the convictions they have about this topic. He's more concerned about the attitudes they hold towards each other. So go ahead and go to the next slide, Lester. This is where we see this. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. These two words are key. Exuthenio is the Greek. I highlighted them in Greek because they're super important. And then krino is judge. Um, these two words are super important. The, uh, and it's fascinating to notice that Paul has sharp words for both factions, right? Both of them have errors that they're falling into, sinful errors that they fall into. So the first word, exuthenio, is con- it's translated as contempt, or it's also translated as despise, and other, other English translations say don't despise the ones, um, you know, don't hold this, this contem- contempt at- contemptuous attitude means to literally believe someone is worth less or worth nothing. So to, to, to just feel like they're just kind of worthless as people, or at least worth less than you are. And judgment is to offer a moral judgment of superiority or inferiority on someone. They're, they're, uh, there's a nuance between those two things. They're a little different. One group who ate the food and felt like it was fine, the strong, so to speak, felt contempt towards the ones who, whose conscience was offended. They saw them maybe as fragile people, and they just felt like, oh, they're just contemptuous, dismissive. Meanwhile, the other ones, the, the, the weak, felt judgmental towards the ones who were eating the meat. The, possibly the weak felt like they were better religious people, right? We're more careful. We follow the rules, right? 
those, those other people aren't careful. They're not careful like we are. Right? This is kind of the attitude. And this is the attitude Paul, these are the attitudes Paul is trying to root out, bring to the surface. These same words, the reason they're so important is they show up again in the next verse. Go ahead to the next slide. And later down in verse 10, he says again, why do you judge, same word, krino, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt, exuthenio? Why do you do this? So to slide, one of, the, one of the points I want to really draw out here is that to slide into contempt or judgment, these two attitudes, it's a constant human temptation. I feel it. We probably all feel it if we're honest. I think here's two, here's two examples. Here's two phrases I hear, have heard, somewhat regularly in our, not in our cult, current, current cultural context. Here's two phrases that I think get at this. I've heard people say things, uh, well, so-and-so, they're cl- they've clearly just been brainwashed by the media. They don't, know what they're, they don't know what they're talking about. That, honestly, that is contemptuous. <laughs> Especially if you haven't talked to the person and find out why they think what they think. To just say, oh, well, they've obviously been brainwashed by whatever blank media they, they watch. They don't, they don't know anything. That is so dismissive. Or on the other side, well, so-and-so, they clearly don't take the Bible as seriously as I do. Or they clearly don't take their faith as seriously as I do. They clearly don't take their religion as seriously as I do. That is so judgmental uh, towards that person. These same attitudes crop up today. So let me ask you, this is maybe a provocative question. But do you feel, those two examples I just shared, does one of them resonate with you? Do you feel a contemptuous attitude towards other believers in your community? To who, who maybe hold a different view of something political, something related to the pandemic, whatever, fill in the blank. Do you hold a contemptuous attitude towards someone, towards another believer? Or do you find yourself passing a judgment on a fellow believer, someone who has a different view? Paul's words here are so relevant to that. Why do you do this? Why do you pass judgment? Why do you hold them in contempt? Go ahead and go to the next slide. For, this is coming right off the heels of that, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. All of us will. So let us stop passing judgment on one another. Resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. So I love the unifying sense of this. It's like if, you, if you're passing judgment on others, especially other believers, you've forgotten that you're all going to sit in front of God's judgment. You're essentially putting yourself in God's place to be able to judge. You're assuming the place, uh, a place of probably greater knowledge or wisdom than you actually have access to when you do that. He goes on, go ahead and go to the next slide. I love this verse. This has been a key verse for me as I've been thinking about this this summer. Let us make every effort, every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. I think, go ahead and go to the next. I have a few examples here. I've updated that slide. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of politics. (laughs) Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of masks and vaccinations. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of critical race theory. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of insert divisive issue here. Don't do it. That's not to say we can't have um, convictions about things well-thought-out convictions about things, but don't destroy the work of God. Don't slide into contempt of your fellow believers or judgment of your fellow believers over it. So, and this is what I want to keep, I want to unpack this a little as I, as I get to a close. It's not a matter, I, and I don't believe this, 
I don't believe it's a matter of changing everyone's opinions so they match with others. It's not a matter of enforcing the same um, mindsets about all these cultural issues. I don't, because I don't expect everyone in this community to ever agree on every aspect of the pandemic, for example. I don't, I just don't expect that. We shouldn't expect that. But, but, in the midst of disagreement of different ideas, different convictions, different opinions, it is about paying attention to our own propensity for contempt and judgment and submitting that propensity under the lordship of Jesus. Pay attention to, wait, wait, I'm feeling contemptuous of this person's attitude. Let me put that under Jesus' lordship, under the gospel. I truly believe that to the extent we can do that, we will, we will, that will produce peace and unity in our community. That, that will be a testament to how powerful the gospel is. That's basically like saying, it's basi- it, it is to say there is something in my life that is more powerful than my opinions about all this stuff. And I know the same is true for my brothers and sisters around me. There's something more powerful than my opinions about politics or who I voted for or didn't vote for or whatever. There's something more powerful in my life than that, and I know that that is true of my brother or sister who thinks differently about politics than me. Man, imagine if that takes root in a community, the peace and the unity and the uh, oneness that gets produced. um, Powerful witness to the gospel. So imagine, just imagine this. Someone who, I'm going to put words to this, someone who voted for Trump worshiping Jesus next to someone who voted for Biden, and they know that they both voted for the other people, and they're worshiping together. Every week they submit that under, under the gospel. Someone who went to a Black Lives Matter protest the previous week, worshiping Jesus next to someone who went to a Make America Great Again rally the same week. And they know they were both there, and they come together to worship. That dynamic, and if if I said that and you're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, let me tell you this. That is comparable to what it meant for Jews and Gentiles, or slaves and slave owners, or the wealthy and the working class people in the Greco-Roman world in the city of Rome to be worshiping Jesus side by side when Paul wrote this letter. That's what that felt like to them. So if you don't think that's possible today, then I would challenge you to rethink how powerful the gospel actually is because it has to be more powerful than that. That is the work of God in a community. And on the flip side, to the extent that the church simply mirrors all the divisions in the world around us, to the extent that we just simply line up on all these fault lines in our culture, then the work of God does not look very powerful. Politics looks more powerful than the work of God if we just have Democrat churches and Republican churches, right? What's the more powerful thing there? Politics, not the gospel. That's why I'm so passionate about this right now. And that's why it's, personally, it's why it's so important to me that we don't simply clump up in, the, in these ideological groups as defined by the culture. And that includes politics, it includes culture, it includes racial lines, it includes economic lines, it includes all kinds of stuff. Give tons of examples. The church should be the place where all that stuff, Ephesians 2 says the dividing wall has been torn down. All those dividing walls are torn down on the cross. So what does this mean for us today? I'm going to end on two, I'm going to end on just two exhortations. One personal individual and then one practical. Um, Paul says in verse 22 in the same chapter, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Another translation says, have as your own conviction before God. So what I want to, with this verse in mind, I want to challenge all of us. I'm I'm challenging myself to continue to do this too. I want you to take time this week, if if this resonates with you, examine your opinions. This is not to say, when it says have as your own conviction before God, it's not to say don't ever talk to anyone about it. It's, It's to say, examine it with God. If you feel, particularly if you feel strongly about some aspect of our 
uh, of, of our culture, like I said, politics, COVID, vaccines, whatever. If there's something that you, feels a real hook in you that's really, you feel really passionate about, that you, that's especially something that inflames contempt or judgment in your heart, pay attention to that. Ask the Lord, and maybe we can do this in a minute right before we turn to communion. Ask the Lord, why do I feel so power, like such a power around this issue? Am I straying into judgment or contempt, particularly of fellow believers? Sincerely ask God to reveal something to you in it. If you live with housemates or roommates or a spouse or family, or if you have a triad, this is probably that, this, man, this would be really good to explore together. If there's something in you, and you, I think you know what I mean when you feel, whatever the issue is for you, if you feel just something flare up, <laughs> um, explore that. And if something does come up for you, don't heap guilt on yourself. Take it as a gracious opportunity to examine something with God because there's something God wants to do in that issue. So have it as a conviction before God. Take it to God. And then the practical exhortation is just, it's just simply that peace and unity in a community, it has to work out between people, right? This is where the conviction before God gets worked out in, in and amongst each other. And I want to add another challenge to the extent that you are able, I really want to encourage you to explore your opinions and convictions with, with other people, in, particularly in this community. Particularly if you know someone thinks or feels differently about something. So let me be really practical as we close. Maybe you've noticed that someone else in our community has a different perspective on COVID than you do. Maybe they conducted themselves differently through the course of the pandemic as it relates to whatever, masks, vaccines, whatever. Maybe you've noticed that. Maybe you've noticed someone has potentially different politics than you do. Maybe you've seen a social media post or something. Um, because I, I can tell you, as an example, on the pastor team, we don't all think the same way about all this stuff. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's a surprise or not. Uh, we don't. And sometimes that's challenging. That produces tension. It can produce tension. But we do, and I think I can say this very confidently, we do endeavor to maintain a shared commitment to the gospel on the pastor team that produces an overriding peace amidst, amidst this stuff. And I know this is all easier said than done, but if you know of someone in this community, if you suspect, wonder, Again, I'm just, I want this to be a comfortable challenge, or a slightly uncomfortable challenge, I guess. Um, I challenge you to explore whatever that contentious issue is with that person without judgment or contempt. Without judgment or contempt. But for the sake of the name of Jesus and the unity of this body in this city. Go to that person, ask them what they think and why they think it. Don't be too quick to offer your opinion. Just ask. Listen. I can tell you that's a powerful thing, especially if someone, if people think differently. So as I end, more than anything, more than anything, do not forget the enormity of what God has done for us, for you and for us in Christ. As we turn to communion, that's a tangible reminder. I think when we remember the enormity of God's love and grace for us in Christ, in his broken body and spilled blood, that's a helpful perspective, corrective for these things. Because if for me, it reminds me my, of my finite, fa- extremely fallible uh, opinion and convictions on things of the world. As we, I believe as we remember this together, as we come to the table together, so to speak, come to the table, as we take communion together, and as we press into this unity, as we long for the gospel to produce an overriding peace and unity in, our, in us, We will be free to truly hear from each other, to truly love each other in the Christ-like way 
despite and through our differences, and this will produce a powerful witness to the gospel in the midst of a world and a culture and a city that is so divided, so utterly bereft of peace. And ultimately, I, this, will, this will help us model the self-giving love of God to a watching world. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be the most powerful thing in our community, that it, it would define us more than divisive, cult, contentious cultural issues. May we be a people that model the way of the cross to each other in self-giving love and peace and unity that results as we know that your Holy Spirit is amongst us and working to do this. In your holy name we pray, amen. Okay, we're now going to move to communion. So communion is something we do here um, every week at Missio Day, um, and it's a reminder that no matter who you are and what your political beliefs are, the same price was paid for your salvation. Early in Romans, Paul says, uh, for all have sinned, all have all fall short of the glory of God. And this is a reminder that we all are in need of a Savior and that we all um, live under what Christ has done for us. So we're uh, right now, members of the leadership team are coming around and uh, passing out your wafer and your grape juice. And I'm going to ask, we're gonna, I want to do something a little bit different today. So I just ask that um, when you peel back the thin cellophane and get your wafer, and then peel back the heavier lid and get your grape juice, you just hold them for a second um, and wait to take until I, until I say. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he given thanks and broke it, he said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So take and eat Christ's body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup and the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Christ's blood spilt for you. Take and drink. Father, we thank you for um, the love that went so far as to uh, sacrifice uh, your son on the cross for the inequities, the sin that we've committed. We just praise you that um, now there is no judgment in the light of Christ. Uh, we can look forward to your glorious return uh, without fear and trembling, but with anticipation and excitement. And we have the boldness to go proclaim your message today. Just thank you, um, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. Amen.